Great. Good morning. Lovely to see you. Uh, yeah, so we're visiting from the UK. Um, Matt and I lead a church in uh, a place called Paul, although we normally say Bournemouth because nobody knows where Paul is, and Bournemouth and Paul are basically the same thing, right in the south coast of England. And Stephen leads a church in a little town called Market Harbour, which is in the Midlands near Leicester in England. Uh, Stephen was in Zimbabwe for a number of years and then down in Johannesburg for 17 years and then came back to the UK a couple of years back. So he's had 20 years experience in this part of the world and I've been visiting here a long time. First came to Harare 20 years ago and it's great to come back and had a great time yesterday catching up with some old friends I haven't seen for a long time as well as seeing lots of people from the church. Uh, and it's great to be here. We've loved being here, loved doing all the different things we're doing, connecting with lots of people. It's great to see so many people in this room this morning. Uh, Steve and I were both walking around before the service thinking we wouldn't be allowed in the UK to have the chairs this tight. The, uh, the uh, fire department would come in and shut us down. So uh, slightly more relaxed approach here in Zim, that's cool. Uh, but uh, trusting that God leads you into a bigger venue at some, some point as well because you obviously need that. Right, so what I want to do this morning is encourage you in the uh, brief time that I have left. We have our services at home a little bit longer, so I'm feeling... Gonna have to rush. Right, what I want to do is to speak from Titus chapter 1. Yesterday we had a, a great time with the guys last night and I was speaking from Titus. And want to pick up in Titus again, right from the beginning of the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus. I want to bring you an encouragement this morning. This is what it says. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted to the, by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now, this, this is just one sentence. There's no full stops in this paragraph. Uh, I didn't do it in one breath, it's too much, I've run out of puff, but it's one long sentence, it's one big vision which the Apostle Paul is describing here, containing a lot of excitement. And what I want to encourage you in this morning is to have a big vision for what God wants to do through Hope Church, and to get a sense of that through what Paul writes to his friend Titus in this letter. What the gospel does, the gospel calls us into bigness. The gospel calls us into largeness. Uh, we have an elders prayer meeting every Tuesday morning in my church and after we've had our prayer meeting we go down the road to McDonald's. Do you not have McDonald's in Zimbabwe? You've been spared that? <laughs> I've seen KFC, I haven't seen McDonald's. But we go to McDonald's and uh, now it's all touchscreen. You order through the touchscreen and when you order what you want it always says, do you want to Make it a meal. Do you want to make it large? And, of course, the disciplines say, no, I'll just stick to the regular rather than go large. But the gospel, every time, says go large. Make it big. Make it a meal. And we see something of that in this letter. Think about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, a Jew, a Pharisee, very strict religious sect, meets Jesus. His life is transformed. And he becomes somebody who has an extraordinary bigness of life and of ministry. This is a man who travels in an extraordinary way around the Mediterranean region. He's got friends who come from all kinds of different backgrounds, ethnic, racial, linguistic backgrounds. Uh, rather than just being in his little sect, he's now in this huge world which meeting Jesus has pulled him into. And he's writing to his friend Titus, who is in the island of Crete, 
And Crete is a place which is notorious because of immorality and just the general kind of uh, bad reputation of the Cretans. And uh, Titus is there to help get the, the churches established, appoint elder teams in the churches. And Paul is encouraging him about what to do. And what we see in this is the, the big-mindedness of the gospel. That the Apostle Paul, because of his meeting with Jesus, is pulled into this big world, which means he's carried into places which no self-respecting Pharisee would ever have gone to. No self-respecting Pharisee would have gone anywhere near Crete and the wicked Cretans. But because of Paul's encounter with Jesus, he's pulled into this huge world, all kinds of people, all kinds of places, seeing what God would do. A tendency for us, I think, is we tend to get pulled into smallness. We tend to get pulled into introspection. Uh, my wife Grace and I, we like to run out on the hills in the countryside around us. We've got beautiful coastal paths where we live, and we love to run on those trails. And when uh, I first started running with Grace on the trails, when you're going downhill and you're picking up speed, it's very normal just to look at your feet because you're worried about tripping. And I had to keep saying to Grace, don't look at your feet. Don't look at your feet. Because if you're running fast down a rocky trail, if you look at your feet, that's when you fall over. It's when you look up and look at the horizon that you can actually see where you're going and don't lose your footing and keep going. And what we see in the gospel, what we see in Paul's exhortation to Titus, is the sense of look up. Look to the big horizon. Don't look at your feet. Don't get introspective. And there are all kinds of things in life, all the pressures of life, all the complexities of living in a place like Zim, wow, which would cause you to look in on yourself. And what the gospel does is call us to look out, look up at the horizon, look up at the bigness of what God is doing. Make it a meal. Make it large. Okay, so just want to pull a few things out of this passage. We see that the Apostle Paul has a clear sense of identity. He introduced himself as a servant and an, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Being a, a servant of Christ is not a demeaning thing. Being a servant of Christ is an enlarging thing. Being a servant of Christ has pulled Paul into this big world, this big gospel vision. And he's, he's an apostle. He's a sent one. He knows he's been sent with the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. He knows who he is. He knows what his purpose in life is. He knows what his identity is. And all of us who are Christians need to know our identity. Actually, everybody needs to know their sense of identity. So in my context where I come from, the biggest issue at the moment in our culture is people trying to work out what their identity is, looking for identity. And what the Apostle Paul shows us here is his identity in Christ, a servant, an apostle. And when we come to Christ, we put our trust in him, we're given a sense of identity. We are called by God, we're known by God, we're loved by God, we're commissioned by God. We need to know that. That brings us into security, brings us into identity, brings us into gospel vision. We need a big vision of what God is doing. And that sense of identity, that sense of vision needs to define what happens here at Hope Church in Harare. So firstly, let's think about a big vision of who God is. Look what Paul says to Titus here. God is the one who does not lie. God never lies. That is an amazing statement, such an important claim. It goes right to the heart of Christianity. Who is God? What is God like? God never lies. God is always truthful. And that is very different from the world in which we live. We're so used to spin and fudge and dishonesty and lies. 
Uh, in the UK, we're gearing up to another general election this year, and there's a great deal of cynicism about all politicians because what we've grown to expect from politicians is spin and deception and promising much and delivering little. That's politics in the UK. I know things are very different here in Zim. You don't have those kind of problems like we do. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the world in which we live. We're used to that kind of world. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, often we're not honest in terms of how we conduct ourselves. We can, especially in a social media age, we do selective updating. We try and present the best image of ourselves. We present the best data points about who we are, which might be true or might not be quite so true, might be a little bit true, might not be true at all, but trying to make ourselves look better, that's what we do. We can overpromise and underdeliver. We cannot always be as honest as we should be, but God never lies. And when we look at Jesus, we see pure, undiluted truth. Jesus says himself in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus' claim about himself. I am the truth. If you want to know truth, come to me. And Jesus once met a woman at a well who was looking for identity, looking for purpose, looking for truth. And Jesus said to her, John 4, The true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus is the truth, and his people need to be people who come into the truth. God does not lie. He is the truth. And so if you're looking for truth this morning, it might be that you're uh, not a follower of Jesus, not clear about faith, but you're looking for truth. You want to know what is reliable. You want to know what is, what's going to hold fast, what is genuine. The one place ultimately we can find the truth is in Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life, and he calls his people into an experience of the truth. Jesus is the truth. We need to be a church that tells the truth. This needs to be a family of the truth. God's people will worship in spirit and truth. Uh, I, I don't know many of you met a whole bunch of people over this weekend, but don't know many of you in a, in a deep way, but I'm sure that there are a whole bunch of you who come from very dysfunctional families, just because so many people do. Families where lies predominate the narrative, the story of what your family is, all kinds of untruths which dominate in your family. This, the Church of Jesus Christ, needs to be a family where there isn't lying and deception, but where there's truth, where what God is doing, who God is, is being worked out amongst us. We have a truthful father, a savior here is true, and that needs to be reflected in his people, in his family, in this place. Paul says that to Titus that he wants the, the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. He wants people to know the knowledge of truth which accords with godliness. We need to know the truth so that we can be more godly, to have a genuine lived experience of God. So I'd encourage you, Hope Church, have a big vision of who God is to be the kind of church he wants hope to be. Who is God? He's the one who never lies. Second thing is we need to have a big vision of what God is doing. What we see in this introduction to this letter is that Paul expects God to reorder the fundamental nature of the universe. Paul says there's an eternal promise. There's a promise made before the beginning of time by the God who never lies, a promise of eternal life. 
That's an amazing thing for Paul to say there. It's an amazing promise. Think about it a little bit. I, th- I think we can talk about eternal life a little bit glibly. You know, it's the, sun- the Sunday school prayer. Put your trust in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. We say it easily. It just trips off the tongue lightly. But think about what eternal life means. What does, what does eternity mean? How do we grasp that? I think actually if you start to think about what eternity means, this actually for some people can be the, obs- the biggest obstacle to coming to faith in Jesus because the whole concept of eternity is so overwhelming once you really begin to think about it. So vast, so beyond our capacity to understand. And from a scientific perspective, in many senses, it, talk of eternity itself doesn't really make sense. So think about our galaxy. Science tells us that our sun, it'd be nice to see the sun, we came to Zimbabwe and <laughs> haven't seen it. Believe it exists. Be nice to have the evidence of it sometime. But the scientists tell us that our sun has five billion years left to burn. And after five billion years, it will turn from the sun it now is into a red giant, a great expanding, dying star, and will finally die in about seven to eight billion years' time. Now, that's far enough away for you not to have to worry about it now. (laughs) But that's still what science tells us. So even our sun isn't eternal. It's got a five billion year lifespan. And also, think about eternity. You could live, for, live forever. Think about that. I think I'm in my 50s now, and I think the reality is, as I think about that, I'm, I'm not sure I even want to live forever. Forever feels, feels like an awful long time to live. Life is great. There's lots of things I enjoy about life. There's also lots of things about life that are challenging. And I think it, the thought of eternal life, that's a bit, a bit overwhelming. It's almost pro- problematic. But the numbers are just so vast. If we sing the great song, Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, I can't even imagine what 10,000 years is, is like. 10,000 years is 200 of my lifetimes. I can't imagine what 200 of my lifetimes would be like. And then we're talking about eternity in which 10,000 years is completely dwarfed. So there's a bit of a problem there. But what I can grasp, and I think what we're meant to grasp here, is what God has promised Eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So what does that mean? I think what it means fundamentally is we know what it is to live with God. We know what life with God is. It means that we will get the life that we've always wanted. The the Lord God, who never lies, when Christ returns, which is going to happen, will burn off all the dross, all the mess, All things will be purified, refined, and made wonderful again. The universe will be as it should be, and we will see God, know God, and explore God and his worlds forever. And forever is too big a concept for me to grasp, but I can grasp the beauty of the vision of seeing God and being with him and exploring him and his worlds forever. And that sounds good. That's the thing I want to grasp hold of, and I think that's what Paul wants us to grasp hold of now. And part of the wonder and the beauty of that is that we see some of that now. Because God is bringing life to his people now. The eternal promise is for life with God forever. And we're seeing life with God being worked out here and now amongst us. There's the evidence of God's life at work in this church. We get to be together for an hour on a Sunday morning. It's meant to be a little taste of paradise. (laughs) That for 
I don't think all of eternity will just be like a Sunday service. It's going to be a lot better than that. But uh, being in the presence of God for longer than we can possibly imagine. And we see that life being worked out in the church now, and we see it being worked out in the ages. Four and a half thousand years ago, God called a man called Abraham, gave him promises that he'd be blessed, and through him all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And in the four and a half thousand years since, there's been an unbroken chain of God's life being made known and worked out in his people, and that will never end. What we are part of today is part of this four and a half thousand year promise being worked out, this reality. I can't imagine, I can't think what four and a half thousand years is like. But that's just a tiny part of what we all get to enjoy forever in the presence of God. We need to get a big vision of what God is doing. Revelation 21.5, the Lord is speaking and says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The God who never lies says, Behold, I am making all things new. And isn't that a good promise to hold on to? I believe in eternal life. That shouldn't just be a glib little statement. It's a conviction that the Lord is going to make all things new. All the dross, the mess, the pain, the cancers, the corruption, the immorality, the addictions, the brokenness, all going to be swept away. And we'll be in the presence of Jesus and his light will shine on us eternally. And that will be beautiful. We need to get a big picture, a big vision of what God is doing. And then, last thing, you need to get a big vision of the power of the gospel. Big vision of what God's doing. Paul says it's being manifested. What God is doing is being manifested in his word or, or brought to light. The light, of, the, light is bringing, the light of the gospel is making it clear what God is doing. And Titus is in... Crete to preach this gospel to help people to step into this light and we need to have confidence that the gospel brings truth to light coming to Christ is stepping into the light we need to believe in the power of the gospel we need to have a vision of the gospel what the gospel does and the scale of its impact what what we're called to what you hope church are called to is no small thing to be caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be caught up in something which is huge because the gospel has the power to transform lives. And so in my church, the church where I get to pastor, I see the miracle of lives being transformed. And as I get to travel around, as I do quite a lot in churches in the UK and overseas, I see people from all kinds of different backgrounds, speaking all different kinds of languages, with all kinds of different skin tones, young kids and older people who are experiencing transformation of life by the light of the gospel that is being birthed in their hearts. People who are finding family, who are finding hope, who are finding purpose, who know what it is now to be known and loved and, and commissioned by God, to have a sense of the eternal birth in their hearts, the God who does not lie has promised us eternal life, a promise made before the ages, which is now being brought to light because of the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is powerful to transform individuals and transform communities and in the end to transform the whole world. The kingdom of God will advance. The glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The gospel is powerful to transform lives when we come to jesus we step into this light we know that we are known that we're loved that we're commissioned and that means there should be a sense of destiny about us not because of 
who we are or because of what we have done, but because of who he is. The gospel call is that all peoples of the earth will be brought to the obedience of faith for the glory of God. That's the gospel call. That's what we're part of. That's come to us. The gospel has come to us. We're being caught up in that. We get to know what it is to have faith in Christ, to bring glory to God. And the gospel is advancing throughout the world, throughout the nations, doing that. It's wonderful. A big vision of the power of the gospel. And then Paul concludes this uh, introduction to the letter to his friend by saying, Titus, my true child... In a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is a, a blessing of grace and of peace which Paul proclaims on his friend Titus. When you get a vision of what God is doing, when you get a vision of who God is, when you get a vision of the power of the gospel, what you do is step into this blessing, into the blessing of God's amazing grace. We Know what it is to become recipients of his goodness, of his mercy. We know what it is to step into this place of grace where not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done, I know his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. I know that he calls me. I know that he commissions me. I know that he loves me. I've received his amazing grace. That's what happens when we see who God is, when we see what God's doing, when we see the power of God's gospel at work in our lives. We receive God's amazing grace, not our works, his saving work on the cross for us and we receive a blessing of peace i imagine for titus on crete that probably wasn't a very peaceful place to be the cretans were notorious for their violence for their drunkenness for their just general uh, messiness of life it wasn't a comfortable place to do ministry it wasn't a comfortable place to try and start churches it wasn't a comfortable place to live and yet the blessing upon titus is one of peace even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of real difficulty, we can know the blessing of peace with God. God is our refuge. He is our strength. We come under his covering and we find rest in him. Grace and peace to you. Hope Church, have a big vision. Hope Church, be a people caught up in the purposes of God. Hope Church, have a big vision of who God is. Have a big vision of what God is doing. Have a big vision of the power of the gospel and live in the blessing of God's grace and peace upon you. Amen. Shall we pray? Would you like to stand with me and I'll lead us in prayer. King Jesus, thank you how words of scripture written 2,000 years ago to a particular individual on an island in the Mediterranean can speak into our hearts here in Zimbabwe 2,000 years later. Our different context, our different stories, but the same gospel. Lord, thank you for what you are doing here in Hope Church. I thank you for how, how you've caused this church to be birthed, how you've caused it to grow, how you're gathering people here, how people are fa finding family. Thank you for the evidence of what the gospel is doing here. Thank you for the evidence of transformed lives, transformed community. And Lord, I pray this would be a church which does have a big vision of you, God. Wouldn't shrink you down. I pray that this church wouldn't be a church which gets introspective and looks at its feet, but would keep looking up to the horizon of who you are and what you're doing and what the gospel is achieving. Lord, thank you that we are caught up in your great gospel 
purpose, that the whole world, that all nations would come to the obedience of faith for the glory of God. And I pray that Hope Church would have that sense of vision and of purpose. I pray each member of this church would know what it is to be known and called and loved and commissioned by you, and that together, corporately, they'd work that out and be good news in this place, be good news in this city, be good news in this nation, because they have been got hold of by the God who is good. So in your name, Lord, I pray fresh blessing of grace and peace upon this people fresh sense of commission for all that you have for them and for the power of the gospel wonderful message of jesus christ to be rejoiced in celebrated and proclaimed here faithfully in your name we ask it lord amen